Good morning, Eastside family. We want to encourage you, if you have children ages three through third grade, we're going to let them go now to junior worship. It's in that direction. If you're new here and this is the first time uh, to hear about junior worship, just kind of follow the people in that direction. And as they're going in that direction, I want to let you know about a, a very important aspect of our of our worship, and that is our offering that we bring before God each Sunday. We're making four possible ways for you to, to honor God and put Him first in your life in that way. You can mail a check to the church building. Many of you do that. We appreciate your faithfulness in that way. You can give a bank draft, automatic bank draft. It's quite easy. They just do it rhythm every, every however often you set it up, or you can go online to our website, and on our community, on our homepage, there's a there's a little box there. It's really easy. It says give. Can't miss it. Click on it and follow the instructions. Or if you're here with us today, you can put it in the box right there on the table. And if you're not here with us today, we are so delighted. We are absolutely humbled and honored to have you here today. And it just it means the world to us that you would join us in this way. You're just as much a part of this church family, whether you're here in Colorado Springs and other parts of our nation, even some of you who join us in other parts of the world. So those of you that are still here, take your Bibles and let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm just getting a prop. I'm not leaving. Oh, I left, I left it right here in my bed to save me some time. So you guys be turning to look forward. Give me some time. This is a little bit frightening, I guess I might say. I'll put that right there. You could actually lose a finger with this thing. I actually prayed, Lord, let this work, let this work. So let's see if he lets it work. This is a rat trap, if you're wondering, not a mouse trap. Okay, nobody moves, all right? <laughs> it's really scary. So... Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. We are continuing our series that is entitled The Battlefield of Temptation. We're only going to read the first three verses here and then we're going to finish this next week. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Very rich, very rich, very relevant. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So I don't know if you remember, hopefully you do, in part one of this series, which we had a three-week break because of events on Sunday mornings. I read to you a poem that was written by Mary Howitt, published in 1826 that I learned from my grandmother as a little boy, entitled The Spider and the Fly. And this poem, describing the, the cunning way in which a spider lures a, a fly into its web, it just perfectly depicts and portrays 
the event that we see here, this encounter of Jesus here in the wilderness. But it also reminded me of another story I wanted to share with you this morning that's very similar to this. A while back, Karen and I found ourselves, I can't see you all, Karen and I found ourselves in what you might call a standoff between one another. And it was over my office in the basement, which you might could call it a man cave, although Karen would say cave is way too generous of a description for that particular location. Karen and I, evidently, we have a... We, we, we don't see eye to eye regarding decor and tidiness. And she was tolerating things for a long while. She's actually watching a little baby out in the foyer, so she can't hear this. So I am full on to tell you this story today. She was, um, it, it just all came to a head one Sunday when she came into my office, and, and my, my man cave office, which first mistake, I didn't have one of those man cave do not enter signs, right? Should have had that. She came in, and this was all about what I would call my pet spider. And so my, my, my desk in my office sits facing the wall, and right next to it, I'm talking about six or seven inches from me, there's this huge window, and on this window lives a spider, and on this window, uh, the spider has built this beautifully decorated spider web, and we get along really well. I mean, it's been in there for a long time. I'll go sit down, I'll look at it, and and I don't bother it, it doesn't bother me. We kind of like have cohabitated quite well together for some time. And I, I kind of viewed this spider like my pet because it was always there. You know, the, it was kind of like Charlotte, the cute little spider in Charlotte's web. Um, that's kind of like the way I looked at my spider, but Karen didn't see it like that. She walked into my office and she saw the spider, she saw the web, and that has to go now. And so I was a bit disagreeable because I didn't think that was right. I was, so I tried all my arguments. I mean, we've been together <laughs> for a long time. And like, you're just gonna, we're like friends and, and this is a creature of God and you're just gonna squish it? I mean, how would you like that for you? And this spider has been working, I don't know how long, on this beautiful web. And just with the brush of a, of a broom, you just want me to destroy that? How would, how would you like that if somebody did that to your home? And then I thought, this, this will win her over. And, and by the way, this spider has been helping me keep my office clean. It catches the insects. And she's not buying any of that. And then I even said to her, I said, well, my spider actually is rather intelligent. And what I mean by intelligent is, you look at my office, and there are no spider webs anywhere else in the office. The only place that there is a spider web is right here at this window where there's a light. Call it instinct. Call it intelligence, but she, and I'm going to call her she, she cunningly knows 
that that light is going to attract whatever bugs or moths or flies or insects. And she knows that they're going to work their way. It's kind of like they're flying towards the window. There's a light. We're free. We're free. We're getting out of here. Only to be caught in her web. And so if you were to come into my office, you would look there next to my desk. And there's many of her victims that have been caught in her web. Now that's a, that's a really cute story. And while it's cute and funny, we see a story here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. It's very similar to that, but it's not very cute. It's not funny at all. It's very real. And we tried to talk about that. This is very relevant. We need to know this story. And so Luke, he's taking us through his gospel and he's introducing us to Jesus with the objective of us following Jesus. And on this journey early on in calling us to follow Jesus, he wants us to understand that there, there is an enemy along the way. He wants us here in this story to be aware of this enemy and he wants us to be aware of this enemy's strategy so that we will not be lured into his trap. And so in part one of this series, we saw, we noticed that the devil is described, and we pulled from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it was, as he masquerades, like he has a costume, he masquerades as an angel of light. There's that word light, luring us deceptively into what innocently seems like light, when in truth he's seducing us into his web, into his trap, to our destruction. That was part one. And then last week in part two, we looked only in verses one and two, and we looked at four truths that basically set the stage for the battle. So now today, beginning in chapter three through 13, we're going to enter into the battle, and we're going to see how it takes place. And there's two things I really want us to notice here. There's a lot to notice. You can talk about more of it in your life groups. We're going to look at the strategy of Satan, and we're going to look at the strategy of Jesus in response to Satan. All we have time for today, though, is this first temptation that we find in verse 3. There are three incredibly important things that I want you to notice about Satan's strategy in his temptations and his attack against us. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Three things I want you to notice here. First of all, he attacks with deceptive innocence. He attacks with deceptive innocence. And I thought there's got to be a better way of saying that. So I'll just have to explain that. The tricky part, the subtle aspect of this temptation is that there's nothing wrong with bread. And bread is a, bread is a, is a good thing. And he's often going to tempt you with something that at first glance you go, well, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly not with bread if you know the Bible story. If you know the Bible story, it was in the wilderness when God's people were hungry that he gave them bread. Where is Jesus right now? He's in the wilderness. And so why would you not want God to give him bread? That just makes sense. We're going to keep reading in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is going to show us that Jesus took just a few loaves and turned them into a ton of bread for a crowd of people. That's a good thing. And we saw in Luke chapter 22 some weeks ago that it was bread that Jesus used to bring his disciples into the sacred moment of instituting 
the Lord's Supper. Bread's a good thing, except when it's being used to lure you into Satan's trap. Fruit is a, is a beautiful thing on the trees. Fruit is a wonderful thing, except when it's being used by Satan to get you to disobey God as the serpent did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Light from a window is a wonderful thing. I love it. I open my window. But it's not a good thing when it's luring you into a spider's web. Cheese. Cheese is a, is a great thing. I love cheese. Except when it's on a rat trap. Money is, I mean, I, who loves money? I love money. Money's a good thing. We need money. Money is helpful in many ways, except for when the love for it causes us to love it more than God. Being in a relationship, that is absolutely a great thing. Until it causes you to compromise or tempts you to compromise in your relationship with God and compromise your faith and compromise your purity. Sex is a gift from God. It's a good thing. Oh, but is it being used to trap so many people? Getting a promotion is a good thing. Until it tempts you to compromise your honesty, your integrity. So this is the first thing you got to notice. That be careful here because it's kind of deceptive innocence. He will tempt you with that which seems okay. But maybe it's not. Could be deception. Could be a trap. All right, secondly. Secondly, we see here. In Satan's strategy in his first temptation, that he comes at you with your areas of weakness, cravings, and vulnerability. For example, if a boxer knows that his opponent has been injured in a particular area of his body, if he knows that he is weak in a particular area of his body, if he's sensitive somewhere, you know that boxer is just going to pick that area and he's going to pound away at it. That's what we see in this story. Jesus, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. So Satan's not tempting in here with sexual lust or, or greed. He knows where Jesus is hurting. He knows his weakness. It was no surprise that he tempted him with food. Listen, you need to understand, Satan knows your hunger. He knows your weak areas. He knows your vulnerabilities. He knows those moments when you're most vulnerable. He knows right now where you are hurting the most. He knows your cravings. And you can be certain of this. He's going to come at that. He's going to hammer at that with a vengeance. He knows what we often talk about. He knows your felt needs. Your felt needs. I don't want to say this. I've, I've said it a number of times, but it, it needs to be repeated again and again. Just because you desire it, just because you crave it, that doesn't mean 
that it's right. And I say that because our world today is developing a different standard of how we determine what's right and wrong. What's right and wrong is becoming less and less determined by, well, what does God say in the Scripture? And what's right and wrong is now being determined, well, well, how do you feel? What are your instincts? What are your cravings? And what do you desire? If I have these instincts and these cravings and the desires, they must be from God, therefore it must be good. Not necessarily. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, or sometimes, or maybe I should say a lot of times, what I crave and what I desire is in direct conflict with what God desires for my life. I'm not tempted to do wrong with broccoli. Not at all. <laughs> not too fond of broccoli. I mean, maybe like Karen does, if you, you put it with hamburger meat and... and um, onions and sauce and cheese covered up maybe maybe I'll tolerate listen I'll tell you what you want to get me to do wrong you want to tempt me to sin here's my secret you tempt me with warm toasted cherry frosted pop tarts <laughs> with butter melting on top if you, if you promise me, Eddie, I'll give you a year's supply of cherry-frosted Pop-Tarts and I'll guarantee you'll not gain one pound of weight ever. If you'll promise me that, I'll likely break into a bank if you ask me. I'll even kidnap its employees because I love, don't tell the police I said that. This is between us, all right? I absolutely love cherry frosted Pop-Tarts toasted with butter melting over the sides. That's one of my weaknesses. Listen, what do you love? He knows what you love. What do you crave? What is your felt need? What do, you, what do you long for and desire? You need to know something. He knows that. Where are you hurting? Where are you vulnerable? Is it sexual fulfillment? It is for many. And he knows that. Is it financial gain? Material gain? Is it to, to be on the at the top of the class and whatever it takes to get there where are you vulnerable where are you hurting is it is it loneliness he knows that if it is is it insecurity is it instability one of the areas of weakness and vulnerability where I believe he attacks is with our identity and when I was younger and I've shared with you uh, some of I've shared with all of you actually my story, this is where I was attacked. I really struggled to, to, to get a hold of my identity. And he came after me powerfully in that way, almost to my destruction. It's amazing that I'm standing here. Who am I? And I knew, actually. I knew the person that God had made me to be. And I knew the path of the course that he had set for me, but I, I began to question that. And I began to doubt that because 
Well, I wasn't confident that the person I was would really fit in to the world around me. I felt the pressure to be someone else. And I'm going to guess that most all of our young people struggle with that. Listen, he knows that. I'm going to guess that's really what's at the heart of this incredibly high rate of teen suicides. And so it's really no surprise that we see Satan attacking Jesus here with his identity. You see, this third aspect, we've seen two of them. This third aspect here in verse 3 of Satan's attack against us, which I see here, is that he has this incredible cunning ability to take that which is clear and obvious and make you question it and doubt it. And especially with who you are, to take the clear, obvious identity of who you are and make you question and doubt that to cause you to question your God-given identity. Watch what I believe that I think he's doing here in verse 3. Notice in verse 3 it says, The devil said to him, this word if, if you are the son of God. Now, if you've been reading Luke up to this point, you're likely to stop right here and go, if? What do you mean if he is the Son of God. If there is one thing the Holy Spirit is really making clear, probably the top thing up to this point from chapter 1, it's the truth, the clear truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We saw this in chapter 1. Some time ago, the angel appeared to Mary. He says, this child that you're going to have, this, you will give birth to a son, chapter 1, the Son of the Most High. The angel goes on in verse 35 in chapter 1. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In chapter 2 in verses 7 through 12. She gave birth to her firstborn. A son. This word son just constantly repeated here. A savior. He is Christ the Lord. And we looked at that story of Jesus the little boy at 12 years old. Getting lost. And he's in Jerusalem. His parents found him. He replied to him. Don't you know I had to be about my father's business. The implication is I'm his son. And then, remember, we looked at the story of Jesus' baptism. And one of the main points of that is when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, a dove descended upon him, and a voice from heaven, the voice of God said, this is my son. It's like, what more do you need? But then even after that, in this long genealogical description of Jesus, you can count it, I think I'm accurate in this, count it after the sermon, not now, 76 times the word son is connected to Jesus. He's the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, until it traces it all the way to God to make this one main point. Jesus Christ is the son of God, and as soon as we've been exposed to all that, Satan steps up, and twice in this temptation says, now if you're the son of God. Planting, I believe, a seed of doubt and question about his identity. And this is throughout the whole gospel of Luke, throughout all of the gospels. The enemies of Jesus, what are their main attacks against him was his identity. Was who he is to deny the fact that he is the Son of God. Well, what was driving them? 
We'll go to John chapter 8 and we find out that these religious church-going people were being driven not by God the Father because he wasn't the Father. They were being driven by Satan. Jesus says, that's your Father, the Father of all lives, and he's driving you to question and doubt the identity of Christ. You see, Jesus' identity as the Son of God, it didn't fit in at school. It didn't fit in at work. Jesus' identity as the Son of God especially didn't fit in with his religious peers. And there was pressure to deny who he was. There was pressure to change who he was. And you move all the way to the story of the cross and you see the exact same scenario or story there. As Jesus is on the cross, they mocked him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. Listen, if... He is the Messiah. They weren't sincere. They didn't think he was the Messiah. They doubted that. They questioned that. They didn't believe that. They continued to say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. They're mocking him. This is not sincere. And I believe these were words, attacks that were coming against Jesus to get him to question in his humanity, to doubt in his humanity, and in his humanity to abandon the will of the Father. And I believe behind all of that was the work of the evil one because it's like the same strategy we see right now in Luke chapter 4 that we see Jesus on the cross. It's, the, it's, it's even the same words. We hear, I believe, similar words today. I was talking with someone some while ago, and they had just recently been baptized, and hardly uh, a short while afterwards, just like Jesus was baptized, short while afterwards, they had been baptized, short while afterwards, they were doubting whether or not they were even Christians, whether or not they were a child of God, whether or not they were even forgiven. I wonder where that's coming from. You really think you're forgiven? Seriously? Just listen to me carefully. You will never change. It's the way it is. More? I don't mean to hurt your feelings. You're ugly. Just look at you. You want more? You are stupid. You will never amount to anything. Nobody's amening right now in this sermon. You are a failure. Look at it. No, you are not a good husband. Uh Uh-uh. You're certainly not a good wife. Go look in the mirror. You're old. Look, you're old. You're feeble. You are a nobody. Like, if you're the son of God, Jesus, what are you doing out here in the wilderness, hungry? Where is your father who loves you? You're his son. 
If you're really a child of God, if you're really a Christian, then why are you going through right now what you're going through? Face it. Church, those are lies. Those are all lies from the devil tempting you to doubt and disbelieve the clear truths of your amazing God-given identity revealed to us in Scripture. He's at work. Not just here in individual lives. He's at work in our world. Just look around. How else can we explain some of the stuff that we see? Scripture could not be clearer about human identity as it relates to gender and sexuality. But that's being questioned. Where is that coming from? Scripture and even medical science couldn't be clearer on the identity of the child in its mother's womb as a created human being. But that's being called into question. I'm thinking, have we lost our minds? Have we lost our morals? How do you, how do you, where's this coming from? How do you explain this? I have no other way to explain it than there is a force at work in this world, as Luke is showing us, that's using the exact same strategy out of the playbook that we have here in Luke chapter 4. Next week, we're going to continue to look further into Satan's strategy of attack. And we're going to see Jesus' strategy in response to him. We have two more to look at. These three were, this first one was too important just to quickly mention. Now, some of you are going, Eddie, it's a little bit unfair. You started the story, you never ended it. We're all just kind of wondering, how did that little standoff with you and Karen work out? Right, it's funny, isn't it? Like, why, why should we even be asking that question? Everybody knows who won that argument. Karen did. <laughs> she's out there amening somewhere now. She's walking uh, Ace around, I think. See, Karen, Karen happens to be, and this will be no surprise, she's the more, the more responsible and mature of the two of us. Amen. <laughs> and while she is, okay, she's very gracious, and she's willing to talk to you in differences and disagreements. But in the case of my pet spider, there was no conversation nor graciousness to be had. Because in Karen's approach to spiders, it's just like her approach to snakes, or I should say snakes. There's no compromise, no compromise, no negotiating. And we see this in the same story with Jesus' approach to the devil and temptation. No compromise, no negotiation. In response to the lies of Satan... Jesus fires back. This is how his strategy was. He fired back with clear and undeniable truths of the Word of God. And I'm afraid that too many of us are listening to and believing the lies of the world, listening to and believing the lies of Satan, instead of listening to and believing the truths 
clear truths of God given to us in Scripture. I'm afraid that far too many of us by our lives are negotiating with the devil. But listen, you don't negotiate with evil. We as Christians need to understand that. And we in the political world of leadership need to understand that you don't negotiate with evil. Far too many of us make compromises with sin we need to realize is you're making compromises with the devil and it's kind of like it's kind of like kind of like a a mouse to a mouse trap and you look at the cheese and you say well i don't know if you can see it jesus jesus good for you there's calcium right I love cheese. God is love. See how it all comes together? <laughs> why, why would God give me a love for cheese and then say, Oh, Eddie, whatever you do, don't eat that cheese. Why would he do that? That doesn't make sense. So what I'll do, okay, okay, I get the danger stuff. So I won't just jump on. I'll just see how close I can get to it. It's kind of like, how close can I sit next to my pet spider? But she's not going to bite me. We're friends. Kind of like, you know, those people, they have pet snakes and lions, pet tigers. Like, they're not going to bite, right? You need to know I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not so stupid as just to go for it. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to see how close can I get to this. How close? Would you stand with me? (laughs) Father, you've given us this story for a purpose. And take this one verse that we've unpacked. And it's just so incredibly richly filled with truths. And embed those truths in our heart. And we so thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit whose power within us is much greater than any forces that come against us from the evil one. Given us awareness of his strategies. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, do what I can't do right now. Help each one of us personally as individuals show us how we're negotiating compromising, flirting with, and dancing with that from which we should flee. We ask that you would speak to us in this moment. And in this time of worship, our shepherds are going to be available. And if you're carrying a heavy burden this morning, I want to encourage you to go to them and reach out to them. Whatever your struggle would be. And there's not enough shepherds to cover all the bases of the people here. So I want to encourage you to, if you know someone here, that needs a hug or needs your prayers or if you're that person, let's reach out to one another as we go before God and offer up this song to Him in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.